Welcome to our Digging Deeper podcast, uh, which is a podcast of Perimeter Church. This is episode three, and I'm Jeff Norris, uh, the senior pastor here at Perimeter. And as with our other episodes that we've done so far, I have uh, Caleb Click with me and Bob Cargo as well, as we continue our conversation around the uh, the teaching series that we've been in. Uh, in, in our church over the last nine weeks. It's been a bit of a long series. We don't always do series this long, but what an important topic as we have been um, delving into this, this uh, incredibly important doctrine of the image of God, Imago Dei, as it's often referred to in the Latin there. And uh, we've, we've covered a lot in this series, guys. We've, we started all the way back in, uh, in July, um, and uh, hit on everything from kind of the foundations of this uh, this doctrine and this truth, uh, as we spent a lot of time in Genesis one and Genesis three, two and three as well, uh, thinking about how we're made in His image, that our image is then marred but retained at a certain level, uh, and then our image is restored through the finished work of Christ. And what that means is God is making us more into his image through through him. And so the last time we came to y'all on a podcast was after the third sermon in this series, where that foundation had been laid. And so where we were moving at that point was more towards, okay, so uh, now that we understand this foundation, what does it mean and the various implications of our lives? And so uh, we've talked about human dignity, image bearing in our in our in the human dignity of all all mankind and we talked about uh, the unborn, taught on that, uh, the human dignity and image bearing and, and value of, of humans in the womb. And then outside the womb, we've, we've kind of talked about that in the context of our neighbors, image bearing in our neighbor, the value of life and the ways in which God has called us to image him in these relationships. And uh, one other thing that we taught on during this time as well is, is um, image bearing in our work and how even work itself is, is redemptive. And God has uh, designed work to be something that um, bears His image and gives Him glory. And so a lot to talk about in all that. So uh, hopefully you've been tracking with us in the series uh, over the last nine weeks, been listening to those sermons and teachings. And uh, as I've mentioned, guys, there's a lot there that we've hit on. I'd love to hear from from you too, and I'll throw in a few thoughts as well of, uh, you know, you think about all that we've touched on in this series. For those listening to this podcast, what would you say are perhaps the one or two, maybe three things that you would want them to most take away to say, you know, this is this is really the crux of what we're hoping that you get and, and even more than us, what God would want us to, to see and embrace about this doctrine of Imago Dei. Um, I think, uh, I mean, one of the, the, the biggest ones that I think I would want us to hit is just the preciousness of every human life. Um, you know, as we think about the image of God in man, you know, we've hit this in multiple sermons. Uh, but if we recognize that every person that we see is made in the image of God, uh, it, it radically changes the way we should treat them. Because when we lift our hand against them, we're lifting our hand against God himself because his image is in that person, no matter what they've done, no matter what we may feel about them. Um, and, I, and I think that's something that uh, needs to be regained in, in modern culture. We, we, we're losing sight of this more and more. And this is something that's happened again and again. You know, I'm 
I'm doing some reading right now on uh, Lewis and Tolkien in World War One, and one of their big things that they saw was that they were losing at that time with just the way they were, the philosophies of the age, they were losing what it was to look at man as made in the image of God. And so man became expendable. You could uh, euthanize him, you could uh, practice eugenics, you could try to breed out what you saw as the weaker links uh, in the thing because people weren't precious. And it was because they lost that that core tenant that the, the gospel so clearly teaches and the Bible so clearly lays out that uh, human life is precious because of the image of the one in whom we're, uh, because of the one in whose image we are made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Bob, what are thoughts you're having? Yeah, I, I think if I boiled down the whole series to two takeaways that are big picture, that's one of my two also. The value and dignity and worth of every individual, uh, no matter uh, their their health or not, <laughs> you know, no matter their age, no matter their abilities or not, no matter how much they're like me or unlike me or not, uh, there's value and dignity and worth. And on one extreme, there's that issue of, you know, life is expendable. But on a very basic level, I'll have to say where this strikes me is just how I treat people day in and day out. And uh, two stories about this. One is I will really commend my wife. She treats people all day long that she interacts with with love and dignity and value and sees them as a person. And I go through a lot of my day every day with all this stuff going on in my head, you know, what I'm planning to do later, what I did earlier, you know, whatever. I live inside my own head too much as an introvert. And my wife whoever she's interacting with. I mean, it's somebody at the fast food place that we're getting food from or paying or uh, whoever we interact with just as a way of life. She really sees those people as people and becomes friends with the lady at McDonald's that gives her her egg biscuit, you know, and she knows her by name. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I thought, golly, I'm, I'm so I'm so terrible. I never would have thought about asking her name and knowing who she is, though I've seen her a gazillion times. And uh, another story that I- illustrates that, years ago I read a book by R.C. Sproul called Stronger Than Steel, the Wayne Alderson story about a guy who was an executive at a steel plant in Pittsburgh. And as a manager who was a believer, and there was a lot of tension between labor and management, he started something called the Value of the Person campaign as a Christian and just started seeing every labor as someone made in God's image and of value. And the whole company got turned around because of how he viewed every individual differently in the company. And uh, and so I, I agree. I think one of the big takeaways is just the value and dignity of every person. How do we protect their life, you know? And how do we treat people day in and day out? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I could remember if this was something I read or if it was a podcast I was listening to. But um, within the last few years, I can remember uh, someone saying, I've made it a practice in my life that those people that traditionally and habitually in my life, I've, I've been tempted to not notice in that way or give value to, uh, to look them in the eye, say hello, and then say, how are you doing today? And just that one simple act right there, uh, speaks to that person, I see you, I notice you, and I value you, and I really want to know, how are you doing? And um, and I heard that, I, again, this was maybe two or three years ago when I first heard that, 
I wish I could say I always did a great job of yeah. of living that out. But in the times that I have lived that out, I can see very visually on the facial expression and response of that person of like, wow, you, nobody does that with me. And and so it's a simple thing. It's it's that's a one little very basic way in which we can uh, treat people in such a way that hey, you are made in the image of God, um, and by acknowledging that you have dignity and value. That may be the very spark that God gives you to be able to enter into relationship with them in such a way to where you can help them see and understand how and why God has created them for himself and through uh, then be able to share the gospel in, in, uh, in word and in deed as you give value to them. So that, uh, that just made me think, you know, and this is more of a, a tangential application, but as we're thinking about the image of God, I mean, that should really govern the way we handle ourselves on the internet. Hmm. The way that we interact with each other and the way we speak of other people is it's really easy when you disconnect. Like you were just talking about looking somebody in the face. Hmm. It's super easy to just start lobbing bombs and Mm -hmm. to say things about somebody. If you were face to face, you would never, I mean, I would hope, would never say to them. Sure. Um, and uh, I think that that's, that's something we, we should probably be mindful of is, is one is the image of God should begin to govern the way we treat people, not just in person, but in any sphere. Mm. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, there's been a lot written lately about how our technology can lead us not to see people as people because mm-hmm. there's there's several layers of technology between us and yeah. them, and that's really dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and I think leads us to have to lean over backwards yeah. Yeah. to try to be with people and mm. see people face-to-face whenever we can to talk about mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. This is why I like emojis. It can communicate emotion. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm the joking. Answer. I don't like emojis. That's the answer to everything. Just send an emoji. <laughs> send another emoji. That's good. <laughs> now, um, do you understand? I'm yeah, joking. I, I just didn't give them words. I gave them three emojis. <laughs> That's right. Could well, you not, that was very sensitive. <laughs> could you not tell what I meant by my silly face? That I said? Emoji? Yeah, no. you know, I think back to, when you think back on the series, um, early on, we, we kind of laid out in one of those first few weeks, that when God originally created mankind, man and woman, uh, we were in right relationship with God. We were in right relationship with each other. We were in right relationship with ourselves. And we were in right relationship with creation itself. And all of that was marred and, and disfigured and broken and corrupted by the fall. And so what part of what God is doing through the finished work of Christ is he's restoring those right relationships again, first and foremost, right relationship with God, but then horizontally, right relationships with one another through through Christ in us, uh, right relationship with ourselves, the way we view ourselves and uh, the way that we understand who we are made in the image of God, our value and our dignity personally even. But then that fourth one, we really didn't get to to talk about that one as much, the the right relationship with creation. And, and to be honest, uh, you know, that's something that the church in general, Big C Church, I don't mean just perimeter, but just we don't tend to talk about that one as much. And uh, there's probably a lot of reasons behind why we don't, some of it being to, uh, you know, uh, over the years, the church has seemed to to not talk about how do we take care of creation, uh, that's not the conversation of the church. That's more for certain aspects of political realms and whatnot. But when you look biblically, God certainly had a lot to say about that. And in fact, in the creation account right off the bat, he's very clear 
about what he wants humanity to do with creation. Uh, and because of the sake of time and the way we laid out this series, we didn't really delve into that. But Caleb, in your sermon on work, uh, image bearing in our work, if you had had time, you would have <laughs> you would have gotten into that. Yes. And, and so tell us kind of where would you have taken that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the the things is you start looking through Genesis 1 and 2 and you look at the role that God intended man to play. Um, you know, I, I used the term in the sermon, he was supposed to be a servant king. You know, God placed him in the midst of creation as, as the pinnacle of his created work, as the one who is, takes creation from good to very good, who has a role in uh, subduing the earth and working and in uh, bringing, developing those things and mining their potential. But in that role as the one who has dominion, he's there to care for the world that God has made, to seek its flourishing. Uh, which means creation is not something that's just there for him to consume. Uh, God didn't give us the earth just so we could glut ourselves on it. Like, you know, you put a middle school boy in front of a bunch of pizzas on a table and he just eats them all. Like, that's not creation to us. Um, We're supposed to be caring for it and seeking its flourishing. And so I think there's almost two poles that we have to think about as as equal and opposite heirs. Uh, on the one hand, uh, there's the pole where, and I think we see this in some parts of our culture, where creation almost takes on a, a sense of the divine, where it is so elevated that we think of it as, as almost having a place that's elevated above that of man. And so you sacrifice humanity to nature in some sense. Uh, on the flip side of that, you have the air that I think is more common in evangelicalism, frankly, and, and that's that we look at creation as something that is not going to last, isn't that important, and is just there for us to consume and use for our benefit. And both of those are rejected by the Bible. Neither one of those is true. God uh, places man in the midst of creation to rule over it, but to do so as a servant who is made in the image of God. Um, and if we abuse that role, uh, there's consequences. Uh, you know, I, I was... One of the things as I was thinking about this that, that kind of came into my mind was there was a book I read a few years ago called The Worst Hard Time by Timothy Egan. It won the, the National Book Award in like 2005 or 2006 or something. It's a great book. If you're interested in nonfiction, highly recommend it. But it, it tells the story of the Dust Bowl. And if you don't know the story of the Dust Bowl, uh, it was this catastrophic ecological event that happened in the midst of the Great Depression where over the course of eight years, millions of tons of dirt and dust literally fell out of the sky to such a degree that people were drowning in dirt while standing up. They would be on dry land and their lungs would so fill with dust, they would just die. And this was this was in the Great Plains, correct? This was, yeah. Well, and it stretched out. I mean, at times it hit Chicago and the New York City as well. So, but it, the main vortex of it, where it all centered was in the, the Great Plains. Oklahoma was at one place. And, and one of the things that interests me about this is my grandparents on my dad's side grew up in Cherokee, Oklahoma, right in the midst of this. So this was their childhood. And as I read the book, I realized they had never talked about it. And I think because it was so traumatizing. Like it was, uh, if you went outside, the static electricity was so bad, it would knock you on the ground. Uh, if uh, they were losing at one point, I think in 1936, they were losing $460 million a day because of this disaster. And the reason it happened was, was, was one that could have easily been avoided 
if they had just stopped to think about the consequences of what they were doing. And it was a, a host of different factors that all came together. Uh, the government saw land that was open outside of Native Americans. And so they sent in people and said, there's free or cheap land. And so people started running in and taking over the land to farm and to, uh, to, to, to produce crops. And at the same time that was happening, uh, the crops that were uh, going to be planted ended up being extremely profitable. The, the market wanted more and more and more of them. And so people showed up and they just turned everything into farmland. They ripped up all of the grass that had been growing there for thousands of years and planted crops instead. And they didn't think a thing about it because they didn't understand that that grass, which had seemed to them like a weed, was actually what was keeping the dust on the ground. And if they had a few years or months of, of drought, then the wind was going to take all that dirt and throw it into the air. And so the Dust Bowl was the result of people not thinking wisely about how to care for creation. And there were a few guys who actually warned people at the beginning, but because of the prophets, nobody was listening. And so they just kept going. And, uh, you know, I, I look at that and I go, man, what a, a good picture of how that can go terribly wrong. Um, was there something like, were they trying to do something evil? No, people were, I mean, I think about my grandparents, they just, people trying to make a living. Um, but we have to be wise in how we do that. And we have to think about the, what, how God has designed us to live in a relationship with the world he's made. Yeah. You know, God's called us to love the right things to the right degree for the right reason. That's a lot of what this series is about and what holiness is. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. You love your neighbors yourself. And then you look at everything else in creation, you know, being a right relationship with creation, with other people, with ourselves. And so uh, I like how you put it there, Caleb. There are people that have a worldview that they overlove this created earth and the things in it and see human beings as no different than anything else, not the crown of creation, but just, you know, part of the evolutionary process. And we stand 100% against that. Yeah. Uh, but as you've said very well, the, the other problem can be is when we only have a, a gospel story that's, well, we failed and we needed to be redeemed and my soul needed to be saved— if we don't have creation and consummation, then we can underappreciate that God called us to to have a, a caring relationship with this earth. It was the first command he gave us, even before the fall. And we do it for the sake of human flourishing and for the sake of the one that owns it, you know. <laughs> uh, we're just, you know, managers, rep, you know, doing the owner's bidding. But we can underappreciate what he's called us to to do, and the result can be the the lack of human flourishing uh, that comes, you know, the example you gave, there could be other examples around the world of famines and all kinds of things uh, when we haven't, you know, managed those resources well for the sake of human flourishing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, I, and this is just a very short thing. If anyone out there happens to be a, a, a fiction fan and you've loved The Lord of the Rings, read it again with what we just described in mind. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien cared about this deeply. It is all through that story. Um, and uh, I won't even tell you how to see it. Just go and read it and start thinking about it, and you'll see it everywhere. Hmm. You know, where we're, just so that you guys listening can know, where exactly is this coming from biblically? Uh, when God created man and woman, uh, as Bob just alluded to, the very first command that he actually gave them, uh, we, you might think that the first command he gave them was to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
Um, but actually, in Genesis 2.15, this is what it says. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord said, uh, the Lord God commanded the man saying, and here's the second command, you may sh- uh, surely eat of every tree of the fruit of the garden, but not the one of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then he goes on from there to give uh, Adam the responsibility of bringing the animals to him and naming the animals, which gave uh, gave action to the reality that man is to uh, to have dominion and rule. And so anyway, all that to say, uh, there it is right off the top where God says, work and keep the garden. And uh, that word work can also be translated cultivate, to cultivate and to keep the garden, to, to take what God has created in creation, uh, beautify it, make it flourish, uh, those kinds of things. And so there's, there's implication there on so many levels uh, with creation itself. But when we think about that word flourishing in general, there's all kinds of implications as to how God created man and woman to flourish. And one of those, I want to transition a bit here, uh, one of those as well, another thing that we didn't really get to to get to in the series to speak towards. Uh, and, and let me just, quick little caveat before I tell you what it was, uh, what it is that we didn't get to. One is, is the reason we didn't get to this for one reason was because of uh, the the circumstances of COVID-19 and how we knew that there would be a lot of young children watching the services online with their fam- with their family, with their parents. Well, we made the decision that uh, it's probably not a topic we wanted to broach with a lot of young years in the room. And so we, we, uh, we plan to actually come back to this hopefully in 2021, but if not next year, certainly soon within the next few years to where we can talk again about God's design as those made in the image of God um, in terms of gender and sexuality, because you can't, you can't read Genesis 1 and 2 and not talk about that yeah, because very clearly Jesus or, or God created man and woman, right? And that's, that's explicitly stated many times over in those two chapters. And there's, there's a lot of uh, very uh, prominent implication there as to what is God getting at. Uh, that to image him, it's not just one sex male or one sex female. It's both together in union with, with one another, imaging the, the fullness of who God is, both in, in masculinity and in femininity, and how that's a beautiful orchestration and creation of God. And so we originally, when we planned the series, we were going to tackle that. We were going to get into that, uh, and then thought, well, let's let's put that on the on the back burner for just a bit before, so we can get out of this COVID season, whenever that may be. But uh, guys, I'd love to hear uh, thoughts and, and insights. Had we been able to preach that in this series, what are some of the things we would have touched on? You know, you know. Let me say, I, in my mind, when we decided to delay that. Uh, for me, there were two reasons. One was all the people that would be watching with their five or six or seven-year-old there that not ready to tackle the things we would get into. And also, to be part of this series, we originally had it two weeks for that topic. That's right. And We uh, need more than that. And, and Exactly. <laughs> and the more I thought about it, I thought, how do we tackle this with only two weeks? Uh, the beautiful aspect of embracing how God has made us. And what are his laws? What are his rules, uh, so to speak? And and what is does the gospel say about the beauty 
of intimacy within marriage and how it points to Christ's love for us and our love for Christ, all of that is in there. Uh, and there's a huge need to address it. So when we do address it, I don't know how many weeks we'll need. <laughs> it could be five or six or seven or eight weeks by itself. Right. Uh, but so important to be addressed, I think. Yeah, that's good, Bob. You know, um, to your point, because it is such a uh, it is such a weighty topic, right? That would require and will require when we do go there in a in a teaching series, uh, many weeks, several. Uh, you know, there's there's too much and that a lot of time that we have here now to really dig into it in this for the purpose of purposes of this podcast that we're recording right now. But, you know, I think it suffice it to say um, it's an incredibly important aspect of what needs to be talked about when we're talking about being made in the image of God, when we're talking about the Imago day that God created uh, humans, male and female, and all the implications of that. What is biblical masculinity? What is biblical femininity? Um, what is how how is the culture defining those terms right now? Where where is where are things that we would say, hey, that's something good that we can press into that the culture is saying. But man, here are some things that the culture is saying that we absolutely need to to reject. And here's where the scriptures align us to the heart of God and to what he created for his glory as represented and in, in reflected in, uh, in men and in women. So much to be said there, a bit of a teaser, we know. Uh, we're bringing that topic up mainly to say that uh, uh, we, we had intended to hopefully get into that, but then realized that we needed to hold off and, and we look forward to getting into that um, in the future. And and so we'll be prayerful and, and ask the Lord to give us wisdom as we get wade into those waters when the time is right. Um, you know, I, I want to want to keep this one fairly short as we as we wrap up uh, this series. We're going to be heading just for those of you listening. Our next digging deeper podcast is going to be uh, getting us ready for uh, that'll be coming out later this week. It's going to be getting us ready for the next series that we're going to start um, this coming Sunday called um, Exodus. That's a really creative name we've given it there, but it's uh, <laughs> we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus, um, this the second book of the Bible, and uh, what God wants to teach us in that. And so, uh, but before we move in that direction, as we wrap up, just our final thoughts on this one. Uh, you know, we want to think about what what does it mean to grow in Christ, mm. to to say that we are growing in Christ's likeness. Uh, another way to say that is I'm growing more into the image of Christ. What does that mean? What is it? What is that really getting at? And so thoughts, guys, on that uh, as we wrap up here, what would you say? I think for me, if, the, if there were two takeaways from the whole series, one would be viewing every person with dignity and worth and treating them that way. And the second one would be that as I grow more and more into Christ's likeness, I'm becoming more and more of what God created a human being to be mm-hmm. and uh, reflecting God more clearly and more clearly. And just uh, two thoughts on that. One is, how do I know what Christ's likeness looks like? Well, I look at the law of God. Jesus perfectly reflected God's law. And in my sermon on the unborn, I read extensively from the Westminster Larger Catechism on the Sixth Commandment. But I would encourage anybody who's got the the heart and mind to do it, take the Westminster Larger Catechism and read about every of the every one of the Ten Commandments, all ten of them. What is it? What does it prohibit? What does it require? And that's the picture of Christ's likeness that we're to grow into. 
Uh, the other thing is something I heard years ago from Dr. Richard Pratt, who was at uh, Reform Seminary in Orlando at the time. And he gave this illustration. He said, you know, back in the day when a king's would have a kingdom, you knew where his kingdom started and stopped because he would have big images himself up around the kingdom. And he said, when we reflect the redeemed image of Christ in our lives, we are like those uh, big portraits of our king. And people know the kingdom of God has come here because they see a likeness of Christ in our lives. And when, when I hear that, it inspires me to realize if I show Christ's likeness to the people around me, it's a proclamation and deed and word both that the kingdom of Jesus has come here. And that's a really motivating thing uh, for being as much like Christ as I can let the Holy Spirit, you know, create in me. That's good. Mm. I think as I just I hear that, I'm reminded of, you know, how we think about how kids grow. Like I think about my kids, you know, they they are imaging me. Like they're watching me and when they play, like you even see this in the way they play, when they play, they're learning to be adults. Like they're 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 mimicking the behaviors that we do because they're that's almost how they grow up into uh, what an, they think an adult is supposed to be. Um, in some ways, I, I kind of think that's what the gospel calls us into. You know, it's, it's kind of a crass illustration to some degree, but I mean, think about like Colossians 3. What, what is the entire image of that passage? We're putting off the old and we're putting on the new. Uh, and what's the new? Well, it, if you listen to the description of it, put on then as God's chosen ones, you know, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I mean, who, who does that sound like? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think that sounds like Jesus. Yeah. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. Like the, the, the picture there is you're looking at Jesus, the founder and perfect of our faith. You're looking at the one in whose image you were made, and you are, as like a child looking at their father, putting on that garb and playing that role until more and more you grow into that image, the image itself. And so I think that's that's a, a big piece of this. Is it's, it's fixing our eyes on Jesus and going, oh, if, that's, if that's the image of God, if that's what I'm supposed to be, then everything in my life needs to be uh, pointed in that direction and conform to that image. Yeah, I love the thought of, you know, even was it two Sundays ago where we're thinking about righteousness and one of the definitions I came across of righteousness as it's defined in the Bible um, that I shared in that sermon was that it's, it's the state of man as he ought to be, that we are being recreated and renewed in righteousness. Whose righteousness? Yeah. The righteousness of Christ, which is who we are to be, right? We are created in his image, becoming more and more like him as we grow. And, you know, I think about even this past Sunday to say, what does that mean? Well, it means that we're growing in caring about the things that he cares about, loving what he loves, hate what, hating what he hates uh, is, is what it means to be made more into the image of Jesus. So uh, there's a lot, uh, so much more that we could talk about, but this series hopefully has been one that has blessed you greatly. We hope and pray that it's been something that uh, the Lord has used to to teach you a great deal about himself, a great deal about us, um, about our relationships with each other and even our relationship with creation. And as he restores all that through Christ in us back to what uh, he created it to be and even more as Christ redeems it. So uh, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you took the time to listen. And we're excited about this next series coming up on the book of Exodus. So we'll hope, we hope you'll, um, you'll join us for that and uh, tune into that Digging Deeper podcast. 
that is coming out as well. So uh, be blessed. And, and our prayer for you is that you indeed are being made more into the image of Jesus. 